This morning, there's no uh, scripture reading, so I'll just welcome Dr. Arthurs to the stage. I greet you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's been, uh, I think, more than a year since I've been here, but here I am again, and here you are again, and it's great to see you. Now, Crossbridge uh, is searching for a new senior pastor. You're aware of that, right? So I'm going to be helping out as the interim pastor while the search goes on. How long will that take? Who knows? It won't be next week, probably won't be next month, but it'll come to an end eventually. So I'll be helping out as the interim pastor. My wife Liz is with me. She's in the front row down here. Our plan is for Liz to come with me, but this is new territory for us also doing an interim pastor like this. So we'll see how it goes, but that's the plan for uh, the current uh, state uh, right now. My primary uh, responsibilities as the interim, because I'm just part-time, I still have a full-time job, but my primary responsibilities are preaching regularly, uh, uh, meeting with the leadership team, the core team, just to participate and encourage and hear what's going on. And one of my main responsibilities is getting to know you. I want to get to know you. I want to pray for you. And uh, the way that we have set that up to get to know each other is that I'd like to eat with you. Uh, if possible, I'd like to eat with one person or one family or a group, maybe a small group or something, uh, each Sunday after the church service. So if you'd like to sign up for that, uh, Christine can guide you on how to sign up and we'll get sort of a schedule on who uh, I'll be eating with. No agenda, nothing, you know, not, nothing heavy-handed, just, just get to know you because I want to pray for you. And today I'm going to be eating with the Alex Coe family, so we're starting off with the Coes and that'll be a lot of fun. Now, I want to pray for you by name. And in order to do, to do that, I have to know your name and I have to know who you are. I have to have a mental picture of you. But I'd like to pray for Crossbridge uh, for at least an hour a week. You can hold me accountable for that, okay? You can ask me about that. But that's what I'd like to do as part of my responsibility as the, uh, the interim pastor. So preaching, uh, meeting with the leadership team, getting to know you, eating together, hanging out together, and praying for you. And uh, that's what I'd like to do for the foreseeable future. Now, I'm also going to have regular office hours if you would like to contact me. Remember, I still have a full-time job. But on Wednesday and Friday mornings, uh, 9 to 11, I'll be available by phone or by email. I'm not going to actually come to the church and, and have a particular office, but I'll make sure that my phone is on and I'm, I'm ready to receive calls. We can also set up times to meet face-to-face uh, if you'd like. Wednesday and Friday uh, 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. on those days. All right, we are starting a new series on First Thessalonians. Go ahead and put that slide up. You also have it on the front of your um, bulletin, Handbook for Believers. 
First Thessalonians is all about discipleship, how to become a discipleship. It is a discipleship handbook, and it deals with some basics of how to live for God and how to honor Him and align our lives with His priorities. First Thessalonians is not Christianity 101, but it might be 201 or 301, how to progress with our Lord Jesus Christ now that we've become believers. The series looks like this. Here's September 9th today. Next week, how to tell if you're a Christian. That's a good place to start. How to share the gospel. That's a good 201, <laughs> Christianity 201 topic. How do, how do we do that? How do you share the gospel? What to expect when you share the gospel and so forth. I'll be doing uh, much of that preaching, but not all of it, and I look forward to sharing the word with you. First Thessalonians Discipleship Handbook. But what about today? What's, what happens on September 9th? How I, who is I? Yeah, it's me. Today we don't actually have a sermon. I just want to share my testimony with you. How, how I became a disciple. You know, how did it all start? Because I'm very, very, very old. So way back, when did I become a Christian and a disciple? Let me just say one thing. It's, uh, it's unusual for Crossbridge not to have a, you know, a bona fide sermon. It's unusual because this is a Bible church, right? Chinese Bible Church of Greater Boston. And I am a Bible person. Crossbridge and I are very congruent with this high value of the Bible. So today we don't have a scripture reading. We don't have a particular passage we're expositing and talking about. But I just want to share my story with you. I would say, though, that three times in the book of Acts, Paul shared his testimony. Did you know that three times? And he considered the sharing of his own story as another way to glorify God, another way to get the word out there, the gospel story personalized. So unusual today, how I became a Christian. Go ahead and take that slide away, and I'll tell you how I became a follower of the Lord Jesus. It started actually with my parents. Uh, in a sense, even before I was born. Did you know that your story is just part of an ongoing story, right? All of us are interconnected. My story, my Christian story, actually began with my parents. Way back in the 1950s, they had gone to Bible college in Providence, Rhode Island. Barrington Bible College. It is no longer there, but at that time, Barrington Bible College. I was actually born in Barrington, uh, in Providence, Rhode Island, while they were students there. You see, they had become Christians a few years before trooping off to Bible college, and they had the zeal of new believers, and they were going to turn the world upside down and become missionaries and preachers and evangelists, and they went off to Bible college, and I was born there during those years. I have one brother, he was also born in that Area, But you know what happened? While, even while they were at Bible college, they took their eyes off the Lord. They were young in the Lord. 
they started looking at their classmates and even some of their professors, and they were very disappointed with what they saw. I'm not sure what the disappointment was. I think their lifestyle, maybe, kind of a worldly lifestyle. And it kind of crushed their spirit, and they, they felt like, wow, is, you know, is this Christianity thing real? Is, there, is it worth giving my life to serving others? And they drifted away from the Lord. You know that that can happen, don't you? We can drift. You can, you can start well, and then our Lord Jesus uh, warned us about that and talked about it. He said, if you, if you continue in my word, then you are my disciples. Well, they did not continue in his word. They moved, they, they dropped out of Bible college, they moved back to their home area of western Pennsylvania. That became my home area. And I was raised there in western Pennsylvania. I don't remember anything about Rhode Island. I was too young, you know, by the time we, we moved away. I grew up there in western Pennsylvania. All my memories are from that, uh, that location. We were not a Christian family. We never went to church. Well, maybe, you know, twice a year, Christmas and Easter kind of thing. We never talked about spiritual things. We never prayed together. But we were a close family. I really had a wonderful childhood. I thank God for that, that I saw uh, my parents love each other. I think they had one of the best marriages that I've ever seen uh, we, 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 we played together. We went on vacations together. Every single summer we would go to, uh, Ocean City, New Jersey. And when I say every summer, I mean every single summer. I m- must have been there a dozen times. We would walk the boardwalk and we would ride bikes and we'd play basketball and we'd have our vacation. One of my favorite memories as a, as a kid is on Saturday mornings before my mother got up, my father would put my brother on this side of him on the couch, sitting on the couch, and me on this side, and he would read out loud to us. I think I started to develop a love of literature and story and, and you know, communication even at that time. He read to us. He tried to read poetry to us, but that was a little beyond us. We just sat there giggling and messing around. We especially liked science fiction, stories of robots. That used to be science fiction. Did you know that? <laughs> it still is a little bit, but it's coming. It's almost with us now. So, all in all, I had, you know, like an all-American childhood. By the time I was 12 years old, my parents had already, I think, instilled in me a love of music and theater and literature and the arts. And, uh, you know, went to school and played a lot of basketball. And I grew up in western Pennsylvania, rooting for the Pirates and the Steelers. But we were not a Christian family. I knew nothing about God's Word. We joined a liberal Methodist church. I'm not sure why. I think it was to please my grandfather. I have no memories of that church. And so life went along. But God would not, did not let my parents go. They belonged to Him. It was now pretty distant, it was now pretty, uh, the connection was pretty thin, but 
The poet describes God as the hound of heaven, like the bloodhound, you know, gets on the trail and just stays after him until, until he does the job. C.S. Lewis described God as the great chess master. He works with us and he positions us and he backs us into a corner until finally we cry, checkmate. So God, the hound of heaven, chess master, stayed with my parents. And the way he did that was tough love. It was love, but it was tough. My mother developed cancer. She was very young. She was in her 30s. She went into the hospital. And while she was in the hospital, the wheels, you know, she started thinking again, the wheels of her spirit... And she said, Lord, if you get me out of here, I'm coming back to you. And I'm going to bring my boys along with me. I was 14 years old. Who's 14 years old? Young gentleman in the the bright sweatshirt. How old are you? 13? Okay. She got out of the hospital. She was operating on She got out of the hospital and true to her word, she came back to the Lord She and she dragged her husband and her two boys along. I think her husband probably went willingly, my father. And we started attending this little fundamentalist Bible church in Greensburg, Pennsylvania, my hometown. You talk about culture shock. Remember, we're not a Christian family. I didn't know anything about the Bible. I didn't know the hymns. We, I, I didn't know anything. And we started attending this church. And they're talking about Jesus and God and the Bible. And I'm like, what, huh, what is that? We would go Sunday morning. We would go Sunday night. I'm not even a Christian. We're going to church Wednesday night prayer meetings. We started going. I wish I knew, as I reflect back, how long we attended. I, I, I think it was a matter of months, although I'm really not sure. But after a while, it started to make a little more sense. A little bit. I remember one time the pastor of the church came and visited at our house. And uh, he was seated on our couch like my dad. And, and he put my brother on this side and me on this side. And he opened up his New Testament and he explained to us how to become a Christian. And when he got done, it probably took like five minutes, and when he got done, he said, okay, would you like to pray to receive Christ and become a Christian? And I said, huh? <laughs> I had no idea what he was talking about. He said, you know, like I just explained, would you, would you like to, to, to become a Christian? He had just explained something. I don't remember the explanation. It was, I mean, the fog was so thick in my brain, it was leaking out of my ears. And I just, all I wanted was this guy to get off my couch because Star Trek was on. I knew one of And then he did something really wise. He saw the fog. And he closed his Bible, said a short prayer, and departed. He didn't try to harvest... Uh, fruit before it was ripe. I suppose he could have gotten me to pray some kind of prayer, you know, kind of, but I, I would have been just as lost before praying that prayer as afterwards. Maybe even more lost, because maybe I would be trusting in, well, I said this prayer that God told me, rather than trusting in a person. 
Jesus Christ. So we're attending this church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and it was one Wednesday night, and uh, my parents had gone ahead of us to church, and my brother and I were going to follow uh, later. Uh, we were playing basketball, and we lost track of the time. And oh man, we got to hurry! We we got we ran back to our house. We didn't even, I didn't even have time to take a shower. I just threw on some church clothes. Back in that day, you dressed differently to go to church. So some nice black dress pants and some nice black dress shoes. And, and uh, we went to church and my brother drove like he was in the Indianapolis 500 and we got there just in time as the service was starting. This was a special prayer meeting. It, it actually was not a normal prayer meeting. Instead, we had these uh, singers, some traveling... Uh, Musicians. And the music that night just melted my heart. I wish I could remember what songs they sang. I've been part of this uh, Christian subculture now for a couple of months, so I kind of knew, you know, the flow of the service. And I knew that at, at, at the end of every service, they would give a public invitation to respond to Christ. And they would always sing, Just As I Am. Do you know that song? Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. O Lamb of God, I come. So everybody would sing, Just As I Am. And, and they would call for people that wanted to become Christians, or, you know, have someone pray with them, some public invitation. And I was not going to walk down that aisle in front of everybody, even though I felt this stirring in my heart. I was gripping the, 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 the pew. I, I'd like to go visit that church again and see if there are grip marks in the pew there. And, and, uh, and you know, the devil will use anything to keep you from coming to Christ. The devil was saying things, you can't do that. Everyone will look at you. you they'll laugh at you because, because, ah, uh, because, ah, uh, white socks, white socks. See, I hadn't had time to change my white socks from, wearing, from playing basketball. And I was a teenager, I was 14 years old, and I was growing fast. And so I, my pants were too short, these black pants with black dress shoes. And I had these white socks, you know. And I'll go, yeah, I can't do that. Man. And the devil will use anything. Just as I am without one plea. But that thy blood was shed for me. I'm not going to go. And I looked up, and the pastor of the church was looking right at me. And he went like this. <laughs> and the Holy Spirit is more powerful than the devil. And my own self-consciousness. And, and I walked that aisle. And one of the elders in the church took me aside. And we went to a little back room. And he opened up the Bible and explained to me how to become a Christian. He showed me. He, I remember he had it underlined in his Bible. I was interested that he would mark in his Bible. And he showed me, um, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And I said, yep. Fourteen years old, I knew I'd sinned. 
Then he said, the wages of sin is death. And he explained that death, that includes physical death, but it's really bigger than that. It's, it's separation, it's like eternal death. Separation from God. The wages, interesting word, that's what we earn, right? He kept reading. But, that's, a, that's an important word, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Man, this, I, I'm, I'm sure I must have heard this before, maybe when the pastor was sitting on the couch. I'm sure I'd heard it before, but it was making sense. The gift of God, not something I earn, not some, it, it's a gift, and it's through Jesus. Eternal life. Well, what do I have to do? You know, like, like, what's my responsibility? Then he read one more verse. Whoever will call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's it. Call on his name. Please help, Lord. So I prayed. He led me to pray. I said, some, I don't remember exactly something like, Dear Lord, I am a sinner. But your word says you want to give me a gift. <laughs> I, I welcome it. I receive it. I call on you. Please, save me. And that was the beginning. That's, that's how I got in this, on this road we call discipleship. Well, I wish I had time to tell you the Lord turned my life upside down. He turned my family's life upside down. My brother came to the Lord uh, within that same time frame. And I remember high school as being a, a, a growth spurt in, in the Christian faith of becoming a disciple learning to read my Bible, learning to pray. I would, I would witness, every time I turned around, I was witnessing to some friend in high school or some friend in the neighborhood. I remember going to Word of Life camp in Upper State in New York, but that was very influential. Really wanted to give it all to the Lord Jesus uh, after that camp experience. My parents became so active in the church, they started a youth group. Our youth group was wonderful. We had positive peer pressure. Do the youth groups here at Crossbridge have positive peer pressure? Some, most of the time, or many times, peer pressure is negative. Like you know, to, it was it was to help us walk with the Lord. I preached my first sermon when I was 16 years old. It was a humdinger. <laughs> Ephesians chapter six, the armor of God. I think I called it God's white knight. <laughs> And that's how it all started. Well, many people in my church, uh, many of the youth in my church, uh, went to college at Bob Jones University. I don't know if you've heard of Bob Jones. It's in South Carolina. And it's a very, very conservative fundamentalist. That's the subculture I was in. Uh, Christian liberal arts college. And uh, the Lord really uh, grew me there and developed me there. And the best thing that happened to me at college was... Liz Hansen. 
I was a sophomore and Liz was a freshman and we met toward the end of that, uh, her freshman year and we dated for four years and then we were married uh, during Christmas break in 1980. So we're coming up on 38 years. I told you we're very old, very, very old. Time doesn't permit me to go further into more detail we went, we moved back to our home, my home area of western Pennsylvania. We ministered in a local church for two years. We went off to seminary in Portland, Oregon. After seminary, we went to the Philippines for a year. We ministered there in the Philippines. We enjoyed Filipino culinary delights like gotohan, which I translate as goat gut soup. Oh, it's so tasty. Came back from the Philippines, went off to Purdue University and got my Ph.D. Taught for 10 years there in Oregon at a Bible college. And for the last 17 years, starting year number 17, I've been at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary. And now the Lord has arranged things so that I'm the interim pastor of Crossbridge. Glory to God. Mercy. Grace. Gift. Love. Tough love. Putting me and my family on this path of discipleship. Any lessons to be learned from this? I'm sure there's all sorts of lessons. One of them might be According to Proverbs, a man plans his steps, but the Lord directs his path. Yeah, we, 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 we make plans, right? But it's the Lord, the sovereign Lord, that, like the great chess master, like the hound of heaven, <laughs> he arranges our path. And we disciples rest in the assurance that God is in charge and he knows what he's doing. And we're just like sheep within a sheep fold. No one can pluck us out of his hand. No one can steal us away because he is guarding us and guiding us. Maybe I can summarize this story by uh, reading to you some verses from Romans Chapter 8, verses 28 and following. No need to turn there. I'll read it to you. The Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 8, We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. That's discipleship, isn't it? He predestined us to be conformed to the image of his Son. And those he predestined, he called. Those he called, he justified. 
is justified, he glorified. What then shall we say in response to these things? Here's what we can say. If God is for us, who can be against us? Thanks be to God. That's my story. I want to hear your stories as well. Heavenly Father, thank you for this story. Thank you for calling and predestining and justifying and working with us. Help us to be your disciples and follow you out of gratitude and love and honor, serving you, our great King. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Dr. Adams, for sharing your story. Let us all...